0: Welcome to another episode of Berean's Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now.
1: Good morning, friends. My name is Brent, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm always excited when I get the opportunity to preach. And um, I do have to say that I'm not feeling particularly well. And so I've been taking all kinds of medication, and i got some water here to keep me hydrated. If you don't like what I'm saying, then just pray that I have a coughing fit, and I'll have to stop. If you do like what I'm saying, then pray that the Lord gives me voice to get it through this sermon today. But uh, I'm really excited to be here, and I'm kind of looking at the crowd because I can't see you very well, but I'm guessing that you folks aren't really rabid Vikings fans, or you would have been at the 9 o'clock service. Uh, The game starts at noon, right? So I'm sure I'm going to see you shrugging your shoulders. You don't even care. Goodness sakes, are you... All Packer fans or what? <clears throat> okay. Just for the record, uh, for the ladies in the audience, yes, I went to the doctor, gave me all kinds of medication. It's not really helping. It's just one of those viruses that is very unceremoniously called the crud, and I'm having to deal with it until it decides to leave. So uh, I made it through the first two sermons, and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing God's word with you today. Uh, During the second half of the 20th century, uh, one of the most famous residents in the Twin Cities was a guy named Billy Graham. And actually, I shouldn't say he was a resident, but his organization, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, was headquartered here in the city. And uh, if you're old enough like me to have not only gone to a crusade or saw it on television, at the end of all of their broadcast, Cliff Barrows would come on and say, write to us at Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's all the address you need. And he was right. And people wrote, and on average, 11,000 pieces of mail came to the headquarters every day. And all they had was Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now, Billy Graham has gone on to his heavenly reward, but we think about the awesome opportunity that he had beginning back in the 1940s and actually creeping into the 21st century. I think his last crusade was 2005. And he had the opportunity to preach in 185 countries, held citywide crusades, and it's said that he spoke in person to over 210 million people. Now, Billy Graham had an incredible role that God gave to him, but, you know, he didn't just sit there in his office thinking, why don't we drive up to New York City and hold a six-week crusade? But rather, what he would do was send an advance team, and they would work for months and months working with local uh, leaders and making preparations so that when Billy Graham did show up, uh, the people flocked into those big stadiums and they heard the gospel presented. In much the same way, I'm calling John the Baptist Jesus's advance man. As we look at the gospel of Mark, and Pastor Devin did a great job of introducing it last week, we have this idea that now we're going to talk about Jesus and the very next thing we do is to turn to chapter 1 verses 2 through 8 and there we read the story about John the Baptist. And so we're going to talk about God's advance man and how John the Baptist filled that role. Here's a little bit of things a little bit of information that I found about John the Baptist as I was preparing for today. <clears throat> There's four gospels as Pastor Devin told us last week and Mark is oftentimes, we can't prove it, oftentimes considered to be the f- first written gospel, and it is very definitely the shortest. Oftentimes he's very succinct in his descriptions. It seems as though after him, Luke or Matthew came along and either added some details or gave some more background information. But if you take all four gospels and put it together what's written about John the Baptist, there's 194 verses. And that is more than what you find in Galatians or Ephesians or Philippians. And so John the Baptist is a very significant person, but his stories are just kind of scattered throughout the Gospels. Mark has only 28 verses given over to John the Baptist. (coughs) We're going to follow that, but if you go to Matthew, he has about twice as many Luke has three times as many verses given over to the ministry, the life, the, even the, the birth, and then the death of John the Baptist. So we're going to find a way in which we can learn about John the Baptist, but most importantly, his special role <coughs> Excuse me, as a advance man for Jesus. So if you're able, will you stand with me? <coughs> and we're going to read responsibly God's word. And uh, if you're new, I read the first verse, then you read the second, and we go back and forth like that, okay? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As the advanced man for Jesus Christ, John the Baptist highlighted... The following three truths. And as I like to do, I like to alliterate. So I'm going to give you three C's. So if I run out of gas, you'll at least have my three major points, okay? The first point is continuity, the letter C. Continuity. There is continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and John the Baptist helps us to see how Jesus is fulfilling what. Uh, the Old Testament has been talking about. The second is cleansing. The message of repentance. John wanted people to repent and to behave in a way that shows that God is their king and their Lord. And the the third C is coming soon. Uh, John the Baptist was that advanced advanced man. He wanted people to know who was going to be coming after him. So there you have it. In case I faint or something, you're going to have the three C's. Now, the continuity part, uh, the first part, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises recorded in the Old Testament. A lot of us, uh, no, a, a lot of you, I should say, a lot of Americans couldn't care less about history. If it's before their time, it's considered ancient history, and they don't really know much or care much about it. I, on the other hand, happen to be a history nerd, and I can spout off all kinds of dates and places and names, and I continually amaze my wife with all the wealth of knowledge of this trivia in my head. Uh, But when I try to help people understand the history of Scripture, I use this illustration of a timeline to help people visualize The history that we have in the scriptures and one of the reasons I do that is because I realize that many people don't have a clue and it's reminded I was reminded of the story of a little boy that came to our house when we lived in Little Falls a number of years ago and I was trying to make conversation with him and I knew that his dad had been in the army and so I said did your dad ever fight in uh, in a war oh yeah he was, he was very proud of the fact that his dad was a veteran. And I said, what war did your dad fight in? And he furrowed his brow and said, I'm not sure if it was the, the Vietnam War or the Civil War. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you got to be kidding me, right? Well, okay, he was in third grade. He hadn't had much history yet. But for him, it was all ancient. Whether it was Vietnam or whether it was Civil War or you name it, it all happened before him. So I have two lovely assistants. Where are they? There we go. Grace and her brother Alex. And they're going to hold up my timeline. And we're going to do a little bit of history here for a second. Trying to show the continuity that John the Baptist demonstrated as he was preparing the way for the Lord. Uh, Alex here, uh, he's Father Abraham, and down here in the New Testament, very appropriately, we have grace. And so, (laughs) here we have, I I love this, being a Christian, I, I love the fact that Jesus is the middle place of history. Isn't that cool? I mean, the fact that everything else came down to him, and then we started counting all over again and going into the New Testament. Now, way down there where Alex is at, that's uh, Abraham, and that's 2,000 years before Jesus came. These little blue tabs are centuries. The red tabs are half millennium marks, 500 years. And so Jesus came, and he, as Pastor Devin said last week, his name was Jesus, and the title was Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, okay? Now... Going down here, 2000 years before Jesus came, in Genesis chapter 12, 15, and then 17, we have the story of Abraham. And it's really kind of fascinating because I don't have enough rope to go all the way back from Genesis 11 back to the creation time. But here, right before Abraham came, um, there's a, in Genesis 10 and 11, there's what's called the table of nations, and there it's description of all the different people that you know, descended from the three sons of Noah. And they gathered together, and they thought they were pretty cool, and they said, we're going to make a name for ourselves, and we're going to build this great big huge tower. We call it the Tower of Babel, and we're going to be famous. We're going to have a great name. God didn't like that, so he scattered them and then dispersed them. But God loved all of those people, but he wanted them to come and recognize that he was the creator and he was the the Lord of all history. And how was he going to do that? Well, he made a plan saying to Abraham, I'm going to make you my man. I'm going to make a nation come out of you. I'm going to make your name great. Well, let me show you what it says in Genesis chapter 12, 12, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you, and I will make you a great nation. He wasn't going to make himself a great nation. That was God's work. I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and then so that, the purpose, that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will him who dishonors you, I will curse in you, All of the families of the earth shall be blessed. This opportunity that Abraham got to become the chosen person and then become the father of a great nation, this was a great privilege, but it came with a responsibility. I'm going to use you to bless all of the other nations that were just mentioned there in Genesis 10 through 11. Okay? Now, if you look at your Bible this afternoon and look at chapters 12, 15, and 17, you can read the story again of Abraham's experience with God. In the first encounter, he was already 75 years of age. He had given up ever having a family. He was planning his estate, and he said, I don't have any kin, so I'm going to give my estate to a guy named Eliezer, who was his number one servant. God said, nope. I'm going to make you a nation. That means you're going to have kids, okay, I'd like to see that, Abraham said. <clears throat> and uh, his wife even laughed in the midst of all the conversation. At age 75, the promise was given. When Isaac was finally born, he was 100 years old. 25 years it took for God to unfold his promise to Abraham, but he said, Isaac is that child of promise. He repeated this uh, this covenant, this promise that he gave to Abraham, to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and said, you're my people, and I'm going to be using you to bless all of the nations. We have the story, and you know it, in Genesis chapter 12 through 50, that they went down to um, Egypt, and there they t- kind of took up residence because of a famine, but then for three centuries, we don't hear anything. And we're thinking to ourselves, well, maybe God just kind of forgot that promise. Oh, no, 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 no. He came and he said to a man named Moses, you're my man. Now, the promise wasn't to Moses, but Moses was an interesting fellow. He was a Jewish fellow, but he had been in Pharaoh's court. He had that kind of foot in each side. He said, you're my man, and you're going to lead the people out To the land that I promised to Grandpa Abraham back there. So here in Exodus 19, we have verses describing part of what he said. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. In a sense, Moses is an expression of God renewing his covenant promise, saying to the people here, that plan that I have for you is still in effect, and I want you to now go and follow through with my original covenant that I gave to Abraham. There's two phrases that he uses there in the scriptures. You are a holy nation... I want you to begin to behave very differently than the people that you live around. So therefore, I give you a law found in Exodus and then in Leviticus, described again in Deuteronomy. That's going to set you apart from the other neighbors, but you are going to use that platform, and then you're going to become a blessing to those around you. You're also going to be a kingdom of priests. Now, when we think of a priest... A priest is an intermediary. A priest goes from God and then speaks to the people and helps develop a relationship so that people can be in a right relationship with God. He says not only a priest, but you are a kingdom of priests. Israel, your job is to help connect other people to God. You're a kingdom of priests. We have this promise here and then we know that there's Joshua and then there's Judges and then there's all kinds of mess and then (coughs) we have what? Eli and Samuel and then Saul. And right here in the middle (coughs) we got King David. There's all kinds of history here. I'm just giving you a snapshot. (coughs) But David (coughs) was unlikely. Saul was big. He was a brute. He's the kind of guy that you're going to say, I'm with him. David, on the other hand, he was the youngest of all kinds of kids. He was out in the the field. Nobody thought much of him. He came from a lowly family, and God said, you're my man, a man devoted after me. You're wholly devoted to me. I'm going to have you be the king of all of these people, and by your role as king, you're going to help them. Go and do the work that I've asked you to do. That is to be a blessing to all the nations. David did a pretty good job. Ah, yeah, we know there are some major mess-ups and shows the amazing grace of God, but he made a promise to David in Second Samuel 7, and this is extraordinary. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, that is to David, that the Lord will make you a house, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me. That's Solomon. He'll build the temple. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever forever in a way that was kind of similar he said David I'm gonna make you great you're gonna have a name that everyone's gonna know now there is this sense in which David initially said I have this nice palace that I'm living in but I really should build a temple for the Lord I'm gonna do God a favor well that's kinda what we would call man-made religion I'm going to do God a favor? Oh no. God says, you're not going to do me a favor. I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to make you a house and you're going to have a descendant and he's going to do the work I give to him and your house will be established forever. That is an unconditional promise. And so the people of Israel had this thousand year history of God showing up and saying, I've got a plan for you. And it involves me blessing you, but then it spills over and you're a blessing to others. Now, the next thousand years, this is where we have a lot of the the first and second king, first and second chronicles, Ezra and Nehemiah. We have all the prophets in here. This is 500 B.C. And so somewhere right about here, 586, Jerusalem was conquered and they went into the Babylonian captivity. But then finally they started coming back into Jerusalem and the people for the next 500 years were saying, "Okay, we're ready, God, start doing something. And they started having an anticipation of what we call a Messiah, an anointed one, one who was going to come much like David and he was going to make the people great again and they were going to experience the favor of God. That is the history, the preparation that John the Baptist was giving to the people as he said, prepare the way for the Lord. All of the promises of God that had been made over this 2,000 year period were going to come to fruition here in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Grace and Alex. You can put this rope down. We'll give you applause for your good work. Here's my other illustration, (coughs) a good old-fashioned hinge. The continuity part is this here represents the Old Testament, and it's very nice that it has three parts to it, Abraham, Moses, and David. And then we come together with the New Testament, and as it's brought together, Jesus is the one who holds it all together. He is the fulfillment of... Of the Old Testament prophets and he becomes the foundation for all the work that we're involved in as the church and so this hinge this is the part that John the Baptist plays okay got that okay let's turn the page cleansing much like the Old Testament prophets John called the people to repent throughout the history of Israel People always came back to the book of Moses and said, Remember, God told Moses, If we follow the law, we're going to be blessed. He's going to watch over us. If we disregard the law, then we're going to be punished. And the history for the next 1,500 years bears that out. They had good times and they had bad times. It was kind of like the uh, old song, (coughs) uh, Robin Hood, Nottingham, Nottingham, had its ups and downs. Sometimes the ups outnumbered the downs, but not in Nottingham. Well, the downs outnumbered the ups in Israel. And so we have that sense in which people were anticipating what is God going to do. And they said, you know... If we go back and we follow the law the way that it was designed, maybe God's blessing will come. And so there was some groups that were saying (coughs) strict adherence to the law will bring about God's favor. Those are the people that at this time we oftentimes call the Pharisees. And they went around, and Jesus encountered them, and Pastor Devin will be talking about Pharisees a lot in the coming weeks. Because Jesus had encounters with these folks and they were well intentioned thinking that by their righteous behavior they would bring in God's deliverance but they became arrogant they became full of themselves they became hypocritical but there's a sense in which some people said let's just follow the law to the T there were other folks that said you know the law is old history who really cares for the last 500 years We've been either conquered, or there's been Persia, there's been Greece, now there's Rome. There's always these foreigners in our town telling us what we can and can't do. Let's just get along. Those were the groups that we oftentimes (coughs) call the Sadducees. They were the ones that were kind of religious leaders, and they recognized the law, but they basically said, let's just do whatever it takes to get along with the current rulers. Then we had people... We don't see them so much in the New Testament, but it's more through the rabbinic readings. There was a group called the Essenes. They lived away from Jerusalem, and they tried to be a pure people, and they actually had a place where they would have their uh, ceremonies, and Masada was one of them. And they just withdrew completely from society. And then there were some that said, you know what? I think we can beat these Romans. And they were called zealots. And there was a time, actually a couple hundred years before, where they momentarily, for about a 40-year period, drove out the Greeks, and they had self-rule. Those were called the Maccabees. So you had, during this time frame, all kinds of different views of what does it, how does a Jewish person respond to the the relationship that we have with God. John the Baptist comes and says, much like uh, those that came before him, I want you to repent, but there's three things that I want to note here in the text that we have. Number one is his method, number two is his message, and number three is his location. The method is baptism. Now, we're Berean Baptist Church, so we think baptism has been around forever, right? But actually, John was kind of an innovator. There were examples in the Old Testament of what we would call ritual cleansings, but they were more on a particular episode or situation. It wasn't for everybody. And there was something that we read about in the rabbinic reading, r- writings of proselyte baptism, and that is when a Gentile would want to enter into the Jewish faith He would go through a ceremony, and I'm I'm not by any means an expert, but it was called kind of a a self-washing. And so the baptism was taking place as they entered into the Jewish faith. But when John comes, he's saying to everybody, Jerusalem, Judea, everybody that came out to him, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. And this is all related to this cleansing, this forgiving of sins. The guy that preaches next week is going to talk about baptism, so I'm going to let him talk more about that. The message of repentance, I guess that's a word that I, I like to use as much as possible because I think that in the 20th century and now the 21st century, a lot of Christians in North America either haven't heard or don't deal with the idea of repentance. And that is the, guy, that is the idea that when you come under the rule of God, You enter into the kingdom of God, you change. You don't keep living the way that you used to live. And so repentance is, first of all, a change of thinking. It's not my way. It's now, what does God want me to do? And then there is oftentimes an attitude of the heart where I have sorrow for the way that I've behaved in the past, and that godly sorrow then leads to a change of my behavior, my head and my heart and my hands. Repentance is a whole body whole person experience and, Paul, and John is saying I'm calling you folks to repent and then the last thing I want to note here is just the location and that is that it was out in the wilderness John the Baptist didn't go to the big city and try to find a place where he can then de- carve out his own following but people came out to him and quite honestly we're a little bit mystified How did people know about John the Baptist? How long did his ministry take place? All of that is really a silence of scripture. We don't know. But it says all of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and they were being baptized. The wilderness is oftentimes known in the Old Testament as a place where God takes us when he wants to teach us a lesson. It's kind of like maybe the equivalent of what we call the woodshed. Uh, I'm going to take you out to the woodshed. I'm going to teach you some lessons. And they're not going to always be pleasant, but I want you to learn how to behave. And so in this sense, when the people of Jerusalem and Judea went out to the wilderness, there was that notion of they were going to get their act together. There's also a sense in which the Jordan River is very symbolic because here Moses, when he led the people out of Egypt, they had their time in the wilderness, it was the Jordan River that they crossed over and entered into the Promised Land. And being baptized there, the Jordan River, was almost sort of like, now there's a new time. We're entering into a new era, and we're going to have this new relationship with God. The cleansing was very, very important. And it was a huge element of John the Baptist's ministry. He was there as an advance man getting the people ready to receive the long-expected Messiah. The final thing that I want to say out of this text, oh, no, no, there's one other thing, and this has always been kind of, <clears throat> to me, almost comical. Verse 6, there's this little note about wardrobe, and, and menu. Uh, it says that uh, John wore uh, camel's hair and a leather belt, and he liked honey and locust. Uh, and I'm thinking, why did the Spirit of God inspire Mark and others to write that little note? Well, it really is interesting and it's significant because <clears throat> Elijah was a prophet way back in the 9th century uh, B.C. He didn't write, but he had a powerful ministry. And uh, the kings of the northern kingdom just hated him with a passion Uh, because he was always saying, hey, um, there's a a right way of doing things and a wrong way, and you guys are all doing it wrong, and you're going to be continually punished for it. Well, there was one guy named Ahaziah, King Ahaziah, He experienced a fall in his house and he was kind of laid up and he said to his messengers, go talk to a prophet from the God of Baal and find out what my future is going (laughs) to be. Well, Elijah intercepted that messenger and said, I have a message for your king. Tell him he's going to die. The messengers went back to King Ahaziah and said, hey, it's bad news. This messenger said you're going to die. And the king said, who was it? We don't know who he was. Well, what what did he look like? Well, he was wearing camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. And he said, I hate that guy. That's Elijah. And it almost became kind of a a short uh, version, shorthand version of, now, there's a prophet. (laughs) I don't know if all of them wore uh, camel hair and leather belt, but it became kind of a motif for the people of Israel that here was a guy, he wasn't beholden to anybody, he was willing to stand up to power and speak the truth, and he was in the whole vintage of the Old Testament prophet. Now, the third point. Coming soon, John made it clear that he was not the guy He was not the Messiah. He was not the one that everyone was looking for. He was the advanced guy, and the one that comes after me is mightier. And his illustration for that was so powerful. He was saying, this guy is so big, he is so important, that I wouldn't even dare down reach to untie his shoes. That's That's above my pay grade. Well, the people of the Middle East are saying, that's servant's work. And John the Baptist was saying, well, I'm, I'm actually below that, and this guy that's coming after me, he's huge, he's mightier. Then he also says something that's rather interesting. In, in the brief and succinct way that, uh, that Mark writes, he says, I baptize you with water, but this guy is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some references to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but they're not very many. And basically, what... John the Baptist was saying, is this guy that's coming after me, things are going to be way, way, way different. I baptize with water, and you've come to know what that's all about, this cleansing, this ritual. But he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's more in store for those that follow that guy named Jesus. So John the Baptist was saying, it's not about me. It's about this next guy. And if he were here at Berean today, he would be wearing this shirt saying, ask me about Jesus. (laughs) You don't have to ask me about me because I actually am not all that important. In the Gospel of John, it does say specifically, I must decrease so he can increase. It's all about Jesus. That's the role that you and I have. Abraham had it as a chosen one of God, Moses give it to the people of Israel, and then David. But you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we can say it's not, not about us. Uh, the story is not about us. It's about the fact that we are recipients of the grace of God. And as we are blessed, then we have the opportunity of being a blessing to others. And so we are, as people of God, continually pointing forward to the fact of this Jesus who came is coming again. And you're all going to want to get ready for his coming. (sighs) Boy, I made it. (sighs) Let me take a little sip of water here. It's really fitting as we worship today. I'm having a hard time thinking this is October 1st. But the first Sunday of the month, we uh, oftentimes observe the Lord's Supper. And the Christian church has two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And I'm talking about John the Baptist, so we talk a little bit about that. That's going to be next week's sermon, so come back and be ready for that. But the Lord's Supper is meant to be a continual, repeated action. Just saying, I'm in touch. (laughs) I'm still in fellowship. I I come to the table and I'm, I'm part of the family. And so when we we come to the table, this is a natural expression of what we might say is the message that comes from John the Baptist. You've been initiated into the family of God when you repented and you put your faith in the Lord Jesus. And now you come to the table to say, I'm still in touch. I'm still in fellowship. So I'm going to close my sermon in prayer. And then I'm going to help prepare us to receive the Lord's Supper together. Okay? Okay. Lord God, every time uh, I pray to you, I want to use the word thank you, because you are gracious and you are merciful. Uh, (coughs) I recognize personally, and we as a corporate body, we recognize together that we are not deserving of the grace that you have bestowed upon us. And there are so many things that we do that have pushed us away from you, but now in faith, as we express our faith in the Lord Jesus, the the one who came to be the deliverer, the one about John the Baptist, the one that he prepared the way, I pray that today will be a time for us not only to hear the word of God, but then to be able to express our continued allegiance to him. May this be a time for us to not only prepare ourselves, but also to be able to be strengthened to serve you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.